Well, today we are in the second part of our series, Set Free. And if you missed the, the message last week, um, you really need to go back and watch last weekend's message, not only to better understand the series, um, but because RJ just did a fantastic job helping all of us to think about the lies that we've been told about ourselves and how it is that we can actually hear from God, hear from our Heavenly Father about who He says that we are. And today, we're going to be talking about being set free from fear and from our worst case scenarios. And listen, if that seems impossible for you right now, um, I just want you to know I completely understand that. Uh, I, I have lived with and struggled with fear for my entire life. And so please don't hear me saying that I've got all this figured out. I, I still struggle with this and I am dependent on Jesus for this every single day. Now, because I'm a pastor, um, I have some hobbies and some interests that, you know, perhaps you might think are weird. But one of the things that I like to do is I actually like to learn about the rise of the church and, and specifically uh, about those first 300 years or so after Jesus. Because in the early church, you, as you may know, um, you, you could be, you lose your life for being a follower of Jesus, right? You could lose your job. Um, your family could lose their property. You could be unemployable just simply because somebody suspected um, that you were a follower of Jesus. And yet, despite all that, Christianity just continued to grow and it continued to spread. I mean, this was not a fragile belief system. There were tremendous consequences um, that came with being known as a follower of Jesus. And yet, for some reason, during those first 300 years, the church, it just exploded in growth all around Europe and Asia and North, and North Africa. And see, the question um, really is why? And see, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should know this um, because this is something to be proud of. And the truth is, as the church, we don't always do a good job of communicating this. But when you read secular history and, and you get to the part about the rise of the church and the growth of the church, all of the serious, honest historians, both secular and religious, they all say the very same things. They all say things like, okay, we, we know it all started with Jesus. Um, we know it started in Jerusalem. We, we know that by the fourth century, the official religion of Rome had actually become Christianity. But see, the truth is, we don't really understand why. I mean, how in the world did this, did this religion even survive? I mean, after all, it was nothing more than a, a knockoff of, of Judaism. I mean, what in the world made it so strong? What made, what made it spread? What made it grow? And see, here's the tension in all this. Because all the historians, all the sociologists, all the anthropologists, all the people who study this kind of stuff, all of them go out looking for what are known as the natural causes. In fact, this is what everybody in our world is looking for right now in the COVID-19 pandemic. They're all looking for the natural causes. Where did it start? How is it moving? Where is it spreading? Where is it growing? Where is it shrinking? That's what is meant by that term. In fact, you experience this every time you go to a doctor because when you go to a doctor because you have a pain or you're not feeling well, you know, after they do all the blood work and the labs and the imaging, you don't want the doctor to come back and look at you and say, okay, well, listen, I've read all the reports and I think, you know, maybe God is up to something right now, right? You would just laugh, wouldn't you? Because even though, you know, maybe that's true, you would want to talk to your pastor about that. What you want your doctor to do is to give you a natural explanation so they can come up with a natural solution. That's what doctors are supposed to do. That's what historians are supposed to do. That's what sociologists and anthropologists are supposed to do. 
And so when you study American history and the rise of the United States of America, I mean, it's exciting, but it's not a mystery, right? I mean, you've got the, the colonists and King George, you've got the development uh, of two different cultures, um, you've got the whole you know taxation without representation thing. You remember that, the Boston Tea Party, all that. But there's no one who's like, okay, you know, we have no idea how the United States of America happened. I mean, it's fairly obvious. There's a natural explanation. And see, interestingly enough, this isn't just a religion thing because the same thing is true about Islam. In fact, if you know much about the rise of Islam prior to Muhammad in the, the Middle East, it's just made up of a series of individual Arab tribes all worshiping these different gods. Muhammad is the one who comes along and he unifies all of them around a single god. Muhammad is the one who introduced monotheism to the Arab people and then he raises an army and people follow him, right? It's a very interesting story, but nobody says, okay, we have no idea how to explain the rise of Islam. And yet when it comes to Christianity, every honest historian, secular, secular and religious, they all say the same thing. All we know is what we know. And knowing what we know, we really do not understand how it happened. But see, fortunately for us, the people who were there, right, the first person eyewitnesses, the, the participants, the people who were actually present as history was unfolding, they give us the details as to what took place after Jesus rose from the dead and how the church, it just began to grow. And again, nobody saw it coming because like we said on Easter, nobody was expecting a resurrection. And yet, suddenly, thousands of people in Jerusalem, within walking distance of where all these events took place, suddenly thousands of people, they embraced Jesus as their Savior because they saw and they spoke to a risen Savior. And then something fascinating begins to happen as they embrace this truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus sets them free. Free from all kinds of things that enslave us. Free from the lies that we hear and believe about ourselves. Free from fear. Free from worry. Jesus sets us free from all of it. Now, if you're new to faith today, I am so glad that you're with us this morning. And we would love to be able to chat with you and, and talk with you and pray with you um, if you're streaming with us and you're watching live today. And if you're watching while we're not live, then you can always email me anytime. And, and throughout the week, we want to connect with you all online. We want to be able to serve you. We want to serve your family. We want to be able to encourage you however we possibly can during um, this crazy time. Go ahead, take out your Bibles or uh, click on that Bible in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to begin at verse 1. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, the very beginning of the chapter, um, Jesus, he, he calls together his disciples and he says, okay, guys, um, you, we've, we've been together for a while. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to split you up into teams of two. And I'm going to send you out in, in my name. I'm going to send you out with my authority, Jesus says. To which probably the disciples you know, thought to themselves, okay, this, this sounds pretty good because we've seen Jesus do some amazing things. I think I would like to be able to do some of those things. And so this sounds great, Jesus. Where do you want us to go? And see, Jesus says, okay, well, hang on just a moment. I'll get to that part. But see, first, you should know. He says this, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, right? You are the sheep, Jesus says, and they are the wolves. And eventually some of you are going to be arrested. Some of you, he says, are going to suffer greatly for following me. But do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Pause. Rather, 
Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, what in the world are you saying? And Jesus is like, okay, well, let me give you an illustration. And he says this, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the hairs, the very hairs on your head, they're all numbered. So you don't have to be afraid, Jesus says. You are worth more than many sparrows. And see, the disciples, they hear this and they're like, okay, Jesus, wait a minute. What do you mean? We don't even understand what you're saying right now. Jesus, you're, you're telling us there's nothing to be afraid of. And, and you're going to keep bad things from happening. But wait a minute, Jesus. I mean, you just said those sparrows, they did fall to the ground, right? I mean, you just said that. And Jesus, you started this whole conversation off by telling us that we're supposed to go out and represent you. And because we're representing you, we're going to be arrested and we're probably going to be suffer. We're probably going to suffer be, just for being your followers. And then you tell us not to be afraid, Jesus? I mean... We really don't know what to do with that. But see, the disciples, they experienced something with Jesus that, that Matthew actually tells us about just two chapters earlier that isn't completely unlike what it is that you and I are experiencing right now. And what they experienced with Jesus, it gave them context for these words that Jesus just spoke. Matthew tells us that Jesus, he got into his into a boat and his disciples followed him. And so they all shove off from shore, they head out to sea. And then Matthew says that without warning, a furious storm, right? Not just a storm, Matthew says, but a furious storm. It came up on the lake so that the waves, they were sweeping over the boat. Now, many of us, because of the fact that we live in Michigan, many of us have actually been in a terrifying storm out on the lake. In fact, just a few years ago, um, my boys and I, we experienced something like this um, on Lake St. Clair ourselves. We were out fishing about six miles offshore, and suddenly the weather alert on our ship-to-shore radio went off, and at almost the exact same time, you know, we could feel the temperature on the water start to drop. We could see that the sunlight began to dim. We could even feel the static electricity starting to build in the air. There was a massive storm coming up from the south end of the lake. And if you know anything about Lake St. Clair, you know that the storms coming from the south, they move very quickly because there's, there's nothing to slow them down. And so many of us, whether it was in a boat or a small airplane, on a, on a, on a, maybe in a lightning storm or during a tornado, many of us have had an experience where suddenly, you know, we were scared to death and we were scared for our life. And see, that's right where these guys are. Suddenly there's a furious storm. There's water coming up over the bow and the boat is actually beginning to fill up with water. And Matthew tells us that Jesus was asleep. Now, here's why this is such an important passage, because see, for some of you, you walked away from your faith in Jesus because there was a tragedy or there was an event in your life and you prayed and it seemed like your God was asleep because God did not respond the way that you thought God should respond. And so basically you said, well, either, okay, God doesn't exist or God is asleep or God doesn't care. And so you walked away from your faith in God and see if that's you. Let me just say this and then we'll... I'll move on. 
I would like for you to consider coming back to your faith. And, and here's why. Because, see, you are not the first person that's happened to. In fact, the very people who knew Jesus the best, the, the people who spent the most time with Jesus, the people who bring us the Gospels, they experienced exactly what you experienced. They, they thought their lives were falling completely apart. And not only did they imagine that their God was asleep, they saw him asleep. And see, Matthew continues in verse 25, and, and he tells us that the disciples, they woke Jesus up, and they said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus looks at them, and he replies, okay, you, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? <laughs> to, to which I'm sure the disciples thought, okay, Jesus, hang on, furious storm, right, waves sweeping over the bow, and we may drown. Now, Jesus, maybe you don't realize this, but when we may drown, we are afraid. Maybe you don't understand this, Jesus. Whenever we may drown, we are afraid. What kind of a ridiculous question is that? And Matthew tells us that Jesus, he got up and he, he rebuked the wind and the waves. And it was completely calm. And they were amazed and they asked each other, What kind of man is this even the wind and the waves obey him now mark also records this exact same event for us in his gospel and he adds something that is incredibly significant to the very end mark tells us that after jesus calmed the storm that the disciples that they feared a great fear this is so powerful in other words what he's telling us is that at first the disciples they were afraid of drowning and then they were really afraid when they realized they weren't going to drown, right? They were afraid of the storm and suddenly Jesus does a miracle and they're more afraid of Jesus because it's like, oh my goodness, who in the world are we in this boat with, right? Do not fear the one that can kill the body but cannot hurt the soul. Do not fear the storm. Do not fear the thing. Do not fear the disease. Do not fear the person. Do not fear the virus when all it can do is destroy a body, Instead, fear, or a better word is honor, right? Honor the power. The disciples were honoring the power of the storm. Jesus says, honor my power, which can save you both physically and spiritually. Honor the one that controls ultimate destiny, that controls the soul. See, Mark tells us in that moment, the disciples' fear of a storm, it was eclipsed by an even greater fear, an honor of the one with whom they shared a boat. But the lesson wasn't over yet. Because a few chapters after this, a few chapters later, Jesus and his disciples, they um, feed 5,000 men plus women and children, so 20,000 people. And, and the disciples are feeling pretty good, good about themselves at this point because, because Jesus told them to go and to feed these people, and, and then they did. And so they're like high-fiving each other, saying like, okay, we just performed a, a miracle. Can you believe this? This is awesome. And, and Matthew tells us that immediately after this happens, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. Now, do you know why Jesus had to go and make the disciples get into the boat? Because, see, they remembered the last time they got into a boat with Jesus, and it didn't go so well. But, see, this time is different. Jesus gets the disciples into the boat, and then he, he pushes them off from shore. 
right? And so he's not with them this time. Jesus actually goes back, Matthew tells us, and he dismisses the crowd. And so now this time, you've got the very same guys in the very same lake, but this time, maybe even in the same boat, but this time without Jesus. And Matthew says that after Jesus dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, Jesus is there all alone, and the boat, Matthew tells us, again, he was there, he was in the boat. It was already a considerable distance from land. And see, Matthew says that the boat was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Right, so this time the disciples, they're not in a storm, they're rowing against a headwind. Right? Have you ever rowed against a headwind? They're out there for hours and hours trying to row across this lake because Jesus told us to go across this lake, so darn it, we're going to go across this lake. And they're rowing and rowing and rowing and they're taking turns and it's pitch black and they're worn out and they're tired. They're struggling to make any progress. They're soaking wet and they're freezing cold and shortly before dawn, Jesus goes out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. And see, this is so important. We think of fear as an obstacle that blocks faith. But what Jesus is teaching us, what he is showing us, is that fear is, in fact, an opportunity for faith. Jesus is teaching us that fear, it actually creates an opportunity for a very specific kind of faith. It creates the opportunity for dependency. Because see, fear always challenges us to ask the question, can I really trust Jesus? I mean, can I trust Jesus when I can't see Jesus? Does Jesus see me even when I don't see him? Jesus, are you actually there? Are you with us? in the storms, and in the headwinds of life? See, Matthew tells us the disciples, they cry out in fear, and when they cry out immediately, Jesus says to them, take courage, it is I. You do not need to be afraid. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, you weren't with us, but apparently you could see us? And see, Jesus says, yes. Yes, because listen, one day I will not be with you physically, but I will be with you. Don't miss this. This is Jesus preparing them and preparing us for what he knew was coming. Jesus is showing them that just as, as you did not need to be afraid when I was asleep in the boat, and just as you did not need to be afraid when I wasn't with you, because see, I could still see you, and I knew what was against you while you were in the boat. You don't need to be afraid, even, even in those times of life when there is something to be afraid of. Because Jesus says, as my follower, I am always with you. And so you, you don't have to be afraid, even when there is something to be afraid of. See, this truth is what Jesus taught his first followers, and this truth, it will set you free. And see, this is Jesus' response to our, our fear. And this is so important for all of us who deal with fear because the truth is all of us deal with fear. And this is so important for those of you who, because of fear, you stop following Jesus. Because if you ever consider following Jesus, or if you consider following Jesus again, you need to understand what Jesus taught about fear. That you and I, 
We don't have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. Jesus is asking us to depend on here on him in spite of our fear. And see, here's maybe what is most the most encouraging part for you because this is what's most encouraging for me. Jesus disciples, they did not learn this lesson in the moment, right? You know this. Remember this. Jesus is arrested and what do they do? I mean, they're terrified, right? And they all run away. They, they lied and they denied and they hide. They did not fear the one that can control the soul and not fear the one that can only harm the body. With all the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the walking on water, with all of it, at the very end, they all ran away. Why? Because they are so afraid. And then just somehow, a few days later, they emerge fearless, right? It's the part of history that has no natural explanation. For some reason, something changed. Something happened. And the thing that made all the difference in the world, it wasn't another lesson. It wasn't another boat ride. It wasn't another lecture. It wasn't another campfire talk. The thing that finally set the followers of Jesus free from their fear It was seeing a resurrected Savior. And once Jesus rose from the dead, they became fearless. Why? Because the ultimate enemy, death, had been defeated. And when they lost their fear of death, they were fearless. It's the only explanation. Teaching didn't do it. Miracles didn't do it. Seeing a resurrected Savior changed everything. And see, here's the fascinating thing, and here's why we're camping out on this for a couple of weeks. Because the early followers of Jesus, they got this. And for many of us, for some reason, as American followers of Jesus and even as Western followers of Jesus, we miss this. But the truth is, there are other followers of Jesus in other parts of our world today who also get this. They they realize that when you come to the conclusion and you stake your eternity on the fact that Jesus really did die for your sin and was buried and then rose from the dead and was seen, that Jesus really does have resurrection life and he offers us resurrection life, when that happens, your fear of death begins to evaporate. And once you are no longer afraid of death, and once you learn, as Jesus said, to not fear the one who can only harm the body, the disease that can only harm the body, the person who can only harm the body, the virus that can only harm the body, but you learn to honor the one that can control your soul, When that happens, something happens on the inside of you. See, it was the fearlessness of the early followers of Jesus that captured the attention of the Roman Empire because everybody fears death except those who believe in a risen Savior. In fact, this is why in the book of Hebrews it tells us that because we are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue us by his death, by embracing death, by taking death into himself, he says. Jesus destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who live, scared to death of death. The only way we can be set free from our fear, the fear that makes us cower, the, the fear that makes us scared to death of death, is to trust Jesus with our future, with our eternity, to trust Jesus with our kids' future and our kids' eternity. Now back to me and my boys on, on Lake St. Clair. Do you know why I, I wasn't afraid in, in that situation? N- number one, I've been on the water a lot in my life. 
Number two, I've been through a lot of storms on a number of boats. And number three, see, I knew what was coming and I knew it would pass, right? Been there, done that. And so I could say to my boys with all the confidence in the world, you do not need to be afraid. Do you know why Jesus could say to his followers, why he can comfort and whisper to you in spite of what you're facing right now, in spite of what you're dealing with right now, in spite of the job loss, the diagnosis, the fear that might grip you right now? Do you know why Jesus can say to you, you do not need to be afraid? Because he's been through a lot of storms and he knows what's coming and he knows the storm will pass because he has been on the very boat that you're in and in the very circumstances you are facing and he can say to you, you do not have to be afraid even though, even though there is something to be afraid of because I am with you and I know this storm will pass. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, you know how, how we struggle. Father, you know how I struggle um, with fear and how we struggle with fear and how for some of us right now, everything that's going on around us, um, it, can, it can make at times this, this experience of fear just overwhelming. And Father, I know that right now um, there are people who are, are truly hurting and struggling and fearful. And Father, I pray that for all of us, that you would help us to hear these words from Jesus and that we would hear Jesus whispering to every single one of us, do not be afraid because I am with you. Father, teach us and show us how to not fear the circumstances of life, but rather to be dependent on you. Jesus, that we would come to you every single day, not in our strength, but in your strength, not trying to overcome our fear on our own, but simply saying, Jesus, I am afraid and I need you. I am dependent on you today, Jesus, to give me peace and to give me hope. And Jesus, all of us, that we are dependent on you to bring us through this storm and give us the faith to not fear what can only harm the body. But Jesus, that we would instead honor you, the one who controls the body and the soul and every single part of our lives. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.